fanficmedia.com presents Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast. With hosts Christiana Ellis, Chute Schubert, Vivid Muse, and Nookchus. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to another episode. Oops. I have my notes all scattered now. Good job. Season six of Beyond the Wall. <laughs> Tonight we're discussing episode one of Game of Thrones titled The Red Woman. With no spoilers past the currently aired episodes. I'm Chooch, and as always, I'm joined by Christiana Ellis. Hello. My Nookjus. Hello. And not by Vivid Muse, unfortunately. Tonight she is a little under the weather. But we do have her notes. Mm -hmm. Want to uh, open with overall opinions? Ooh, uh, I'm I'm glad that it's back, and I'm really excited for this season to uh, be feel different, just in the sense of not having any idea what's coming, having it be pretty much all. New stuff that, you know, so instead of anticipating, well, are they going to do this like the book or are they going to change it? But just really is like, nope, all of it, all of it's up in the air. There's only a handful <laughs> of segments where they even have the opportunity to continue a book storyline. And yeah. even in those places, it seems like they're not necessarily that into it. <laughs> yeah. How about you, yeah. Nutty? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I'm really excited for derailments. There's some derailments that I'm not thrilled about, but that's something that they started last season. So we'll get into that. Uh, but <laughs> you know, I'm 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 excited. I kind of what I really would like to see is I would like for the show to have its own story and its own ending, and the books to have its own story and its own ending, because I think that that would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that'll be cool. And then uh, years from now, um, nerds can uh, fight over which was better. Right. Oh, yeah, what's canon? It'll totally be, yeah, mm -hmm. what's canon and what's not. Yep. <laughs> They'll come up with nifty little uh, web chat acronyms. Right. To <laughs> team book or team TV, things yeah. like that. Yeah, you yeah. got, right, George Cannon, you got Head Cannon, you got Weiss <laughs> you know, Cannon. <laughs> Years ago, um, when I was doing Requiem of the Outcast with Rich Siegfried, um, mm. all those are still up. People should go check them out. Sketch comedy. Anyway, um, we did a whole episode once that I think was my favorite one that we ever did, even though it was maybe a little too meta. But the whole idea was that we were doing a fan cast for something that doesn't actually exist. We completely right. made it up. And, uh, and I think the problem was that it, played too much just like listening to a fan cast of something you don't know. So, <laughs> but in that one, it, the idea was that it was, um, uh, a series of books that had also been made into an anime that changed lots of things. Mm -hmm. And so now there was going to be a movie. And so that's like what we were excited about is that, there's going to be a movie, but is it going to be more like the anime or more like the books? We don't know. And so it's kind of, <laughs> anyway, I just, sorry, fond recollection of something that does not really directly apply to the situation. <laughs> That's all right. Um, it, um, oh, for me, overall, 
I thought it was a really strong premiere episode. It picked up right where season five ended. Um, you know, they kind of usually go two ways on these. Um, of We didn't get to catch up with everyone, but we're used to that. Mm-hmm. But of course, I'm pissed off because I predicted they'd open with Bran and we didn't even get to see him. So yeah. they're going to lose a point from me for that. Uh, but- it looks like, like next time, hopefully. <laughs> Were there any uh, any news bits anybody picked up on? Um, uh, they're not real news, but I was highly entertained by a couple of Onion articles leading up to the uh, um, premiere. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them was, uh, the headline is, I won't read the whole article, but Nation relieved that insufferable literal Game of Thrones fans don't have book to lord over them this season. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And uh, and then another good one was uh, Game of Thrones fan rewatching past episodes to remind self of what characters' breasts look like. <laughs> and that's absolutely something I can envision uh, people doing this time. <laughs> it's just it's kind of like, well, Melisandre, you know, like, did how how, how have they changed in the couple of years since we last saw them? Right. Although a lot of the actresses have, have opted where they did nudes before and they've opted to do body doubles. So mm-hmm. it doesn't yes. really count anymore. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's been recasting. <laughs> oh, well, so that would, that's an interesting idea that you could compare the possible bottle, body double. <laughs> it, it is <laughs> an interesting thing. Uh, uh, Amelia Clark is one of them that mm-hmm. she, she used to do nudes. And apparently she doesn't anymore because she feels she doesn't have to, which makes me sad that she felt she had to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think personally, if you want to, you should be able to or not. But unfortunately, in the world that we live in, I'm sure uh, if they cast somebody to do Daenerys's role in the first season and they said, that, oh, no, I don't do nudes, they may not get cast. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of sad. Well, it's also possible that there was an element to where she was okay with it, but then feels like, okay, I did that. Now I don't need to do it anymore. Oh, yeah. I, but, uh, but yeah, I, I tend to agree, though, that uh, one would hope that uh, anytime an actress decides to do a nude scene in a movie, we would hope that she did not feel unduly pressured to do that. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a requirement. Commitment to the role, but uh, yeah. It's also uh, kind of nice, though, that technology is allowing more of these, uh, like the the doubles to, uh, you know, it works. Oh, the absolutely. effects they yeah. can uh, they can double people in without it uh, being nearly as obvious as it used to be. Well, I can tell yeah, you, I'm um, not comparing. So <laughs> <laughs> there, I do have a note on that um, towards the uh, towards the end, actually. Um, yeah, towards the end of the Castle Black discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so one other thing, um, uh, Viv yeah. had sent around, it's a waiver that they put up on funny or die. It's the game of Thrones viewer release form. Yeah. And, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but basically it's saying that you relinquish your rights to emotional health as you continue to watch the series, mm-hmm. that your favorite characters may be tortured and killed and all sorts of horrific things happening. And uh, yeah, it just goes on and on into nice detail. And yeah, sort of like possible causes of death include, but are not limited to yeah. the following. <laughs> and, and that's a full paragraph, you know. Yeah. 
I, I, nice. I like the the one though uh, uppity boar. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> I did see a, an alleged tweet from George R. R. Martin said, "I don't know why people are so excited for the premiere. Their hearts are just going to get broken." <laughs> um, I don't think surprises anybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, at this point, it's kind of part of uh, what we want from the show. Although, what I will say is. I feel like the context for that sort of thing has shifted a little bit, at least in my own personal estimation. Now, let me throw this out there and see what you guys think. Uh, one of the other significant shows on the air that had kind of a reputation for being willing to kill off characters is The Walking Dead. Mm. But in I decided over the course of this last season to stop watching the show, partly just because I felt like they had kind of broken the spell in the sense that it, it stopped feeling like these are real people that are in real danger and anything might happen. And it really started feeling like writers with their puppet strings, which of course we know that it technically always was, but I lost the ability to suspend that disbelief and it bothered me. Mm -hmm. um, and so especially because it, it does increasingly feel on that show like, sure, it always used to be that anyone could die, but now it's been going on long enough. Luna, stop! That we, we know there's a handful that are not really going to die, you know? It's like... Yeah. And, and, the, and the show has started to cheat in the sense of making it seem really clear that a character died, and then, whoops, nope, they're actually fine. Oh, but now we're going to do it again with the same character later. And then, oh, well, maybe who's going to die this time? And then ending with a uh, cliffhanger that was, by all accounts, unsatisfying. I didn't watch it. But so my concern, and it, I'm not even really worried that I see this happening with the show as much as it's a potential pitfall, mm -hmm. is to start doing that with the um, these characters. If it, if it stops really feeling like well, anyone could die or any, you know, if they, if they lose that suspension of disbelief on this show, that's a potential concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, um, Walking Dead specifically, the <clears throat> season finale had the last five minutes I thought were great, but mm -hmm. the last moment is somebody's clearly dying and we have no idea who. Only some like, you know, obscure people's and who, you know, I don't know. It was, yeah, yeah. it was lame. It was really lame. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is not to say if, if people are still digging Walking Dead, that's fantastic. I'm, I am happy for mm -hmm. you. I, I don't want to tell anybody not to like something, but that's why it stopped working for me. Yeah. Yeah. And they did do some more death, but anyway. So back to uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, we open at uh, Castle Black, picking up right where season five left off. John's dead, very mm -hmm. dead, and the snoo. And this time, though, we have the forlorn howling from Ghost that gets Davos' oh. attention. Mm -hmm. And apparently everybody else's, cause, or at least all of John's friends, coming from the courtyard. Um, one of the, sorry, I, yeah. one, of the, yeah, yeah. one of the things that confused me a little bit at first was how much time had actually passed mm -hmm. because um, I thought at first before we saw Davos hear the sound and come out 
this had been something like like it was maybe even the next day and they had left him there as an example what they hadn't killed ghost and so ghost was continuing to howl and i thought that like that that was maybe what was happening um just because like nobody was around and it and i was just thinking i wasn't clear so like my just initial guess was oh man they've just left him there um and it occurred to me also it's like given that at least some of the people there really know what's up with these with the whites there's this a good idea for them to just leave his body unattended like that uh which is still a concern even if it's only been a short time but uh um so i was a little bit surprised actually when i realized that oh no davos is just finding out so this couldn't have been more than maybe a couple of hours max um probably less than that even but then that yeah. still raises the question of why is there nobody around yeah there, there's there's so few people around that he can get a few guys and they can go and recover Jon Snow's body and then hide him away in that tower before anybody else realizes what's happening and says, oh, wait, we maybe ought to not let them do that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, hmm. it felt like um, the stabbing happened at a very crowded scene. And I don't know if it's just because a lot of time my memory from the books will cloud the way I view the show. Uh, because in the show, there it's like during this big giant meeting, there's wildlings all around. There's a lot of people there. And then to open up on him just laying there in with nobody around was very startling. And then, of course, my other complaint, which has been a complaint since one, Ghost is supposed to be mute. But oh, well, I... I know it's not a big deal. It's just one of those things. I I was just going to say I feel like that's a smart change because I understand it's it's kind of a cool idea, mm. but I just feel like at least for me personally, I I feel like hearing the howling and stuff is more effective. Yeah, well, I think I think for a TV show it makes a lot more sense. It's just you know you 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 live with someone in your head for so long, yeah. That these little changes, you're like, yeah, but that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely me being a book nerd. <laughs> um, right. I I got the idea that like it it made sense that the crowd wouldn't just continue to stand around him for, you know, a long time, you know what yeah. I mean? Especially since even the people who really believe it was the right thing to do have got to feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. Um so maybe everybody now that it, the deed is done kind of wants to make themselves scarce. And I'm not an expert in the history of it, but I believe that there's kind of a parallel with when um Caesar was killed, right? By the Senate. Mm -hmm. Um everybody just left him there. You know, everyone kind of mm. got their stab in so that nobody could say it was one person that did it. But then right. they really just all scattered and um right. and let Caesar's allies recover him. That makes sense. But then, but Deep. it kind of conflicts, though, with the idea that Davos and the, uh, you know, the loyal guys have time to go bring his body into the tower before Thorne and the others decide, oh, wait, we wish you hadn't done that. And now we want you to come out. Right. So, <laughs> so he's like, in theory, you guys could have done something about that. But I don't know. <laughs> then again, Thorne maybe gave commands, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm not too worried about it, but I I did find that a little bit confusing. Yeah. 
So immediately Melisandre comes in and of course all the radars going off. Oh, she's going to raise him. Here we go. But mm -hmm. no, <laughs> she's a little shocked and a, yeah. a little, little surprised. I saw him fighting at Winterfell or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was I was really surprised too, just because uh, you know I predicted in our you know in our pre season show before um, we saw the first episode, I I predicted that we were maybe not going to get, not even going to revisit what was going on with John until the end of the first episode. But I suspected that once we did, it would be more or less immediate. Whereas now, no, not only did we start with it, but it's also still not resolved at the end right. of the first episode. Mm -hmm. And but at the same time, maybe they felt, and I and I kind of applaud this impulse if this is what it was, that they really needed to drive home. Yes, he was dead. He was not just injured. He is is dead. Yeah. And so if something else happens, it needs to happen after we establish. No, he is unequivocally dead he's not mostly dead he is stiff and frozen in the snow yeah yeah i agree but yeah so, for for her to be so taken off guard it does raise the question of especially since this the show in previous season of course went out of its way to have melisandre actively actively know what thoros had done with beric dondarian you know, mm -hmm. to have her have firsthand knowledge of that, it it seems a little surprising that that didn't even really seem to occur to her, um, as far as we could tell, because the the show definitely, other than showing her shaken at that point, the the show is pretty cagey with what it tells us about how she feels, because it we we get a lot of ambiguous stuff that seems to indicate she's not happy, but we don't know exactly. What it is that she's thinking. Is she losing her faith? Is she worried that this means something more serious is going to happen? Is she pondering some difficult choice? We don't really have any details because the show doesn't tell us. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said in the reaction show, at first I thought, oh, she's going to give up her youth. She's going to give up her you know, her glamour, because this is something that I had known from the books. Although from what I'm hearing from other people, I guess it was not as known. Maybe I was filling in the blanks there, but that she was using a glamour to hide who she was. Um, and so, you know, that she was actually a crone. And and so I'm thinking, oh, she's going to give up her beauty to save John. And then she just crawls into the bed and I'm like, oh, no, she's just giving up. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't actually uh, rewatch the scene after reading this, but I read a comment somewhere where someone says the candle that was on the table goes out as she lays down in bed. Oh, hmm. I didn't notice that. I didn't either. I didn't. I unfortunately, mm -hmm. I didn't actually uh, confirm that. I just saw somebody say that in a comment. So mm -hmm. take that with a grain of salt. It might not be true at all. But if that's the case, maybe she's actually giving up more than just her youth. Interesting. Yeah. That that could be. Interesting. So that, uh, yeah, if we jump to that scene, um, like I had asked in the reaction show, does the, the necklace embody all of her power or maybe just her health powers? Because 
I remember right, the only times we've definitively seen it glow was when she drank poison. Mm-hmm. And she's taken it off before. She took it off like last season to yeah. take a bath or something, and it didn't glow or anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost like she activated it to to you know change her body. Right. Well, that's interesting. Like I I definitely got the impression that seeing herself as old was is what she wanted. So maybe it's not necessarily like. Taking it off doesn't necessarily turn off the spell, but she chose to turn off the spell mm-hmm. when she took it off. So, like, that might explain why she's had it off before and it didn't break the glamour. But this time she was definitely trying to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be the difference. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, having it start to glow as she took it off might be because she is actually using its magic to sort of change back, so to speak. Mm. Right. Um, so, like, or it, their it continuity, might... sometimes they forget to make it glow. <laughs> well, it could be. I was trying to remember if it maybe glowed when she was doing the blood spell, like with the leeches. It was ambiguous. It was hard to tell if it was torchlight reflecting or if it was an effect. Yeah, I think that's the one that we were discussing at length, trying to figure out, is that glowing or is that a reflection? <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I mean, I think it's interesting to discuss, but I think it's also, it's a r- relatively minor detail. I'm not too, I, I, I think it's maybe not necessarily worthwhile to pour into a shot by shot of when it's glowing when right. it's not because they may not have been using it that deliberately right you know they might right. have chosen whether to have it glow or not just based on that particular shot and you know how they thought it would look in that moment you know yeah. as opposed to it being for story reasons yeah i i do say that the the juxtaposition of this supernatural transformation and then the mundane act of just climbing into bed mm-hmm. was was really chilling. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely, just from the body language and everything in that scene, like, you know, I talked a little bit about it being ambiguous before, but my perception immediately when watching it was that she had lost her faith and was giving up. Like, you know, you, you deceived me, Lord of Light, or, or maybe even like, I don't know if she still believes in the Lord of Light or if it's, or what it is, but she was definitely feeling like I based everything on believing that these visions of mine were going to come true. And now it seems like it can't possibly come true. So all, maybe all of this is just made up or even if it's not, then uh, you're tricking me and I don't like that and I'm angry. And so I, I, that's what it felt like at the time, but thinking more on it, the idea that she's maybe making some sort of a sacrifice, um, does seem plausible, but it also kind of, I feel like if that's what it is, I hope that they would some explain that a little better (laughs) and uh, not just have the next episode, uh, open with, uh, Jon Snow, waking up and saying, Oh, whoa, what just happened? Yeah. Boy, my stomach hurts. Why is that? <laughs> is it cold in here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my current theory 
is we haven't heard from him for a couple seasons, but the Brothers Without Banners, mm-hmm. that they'll show up in, what, uh, Thoros? Yeah, uh, well, Thoros was the Red Queen. He's the one who... And Beric Dondarrion right. was the one that had been resurrected. Right, so maybe <clears throat> Thoros does his mojo, though John's... Well, theoretically, have been dead for quite a while. So I don't know what limitations. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember if they be. established in the show how because there was a couple of times for sure that Beric was not resurrected right away, but I don't know if they ever said quite how long it had been. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there were times where like he was you know executed by the Lannisters, and so it seems plausible that they wouldn't have just handed his body right over to his buddies um immediately after that um not least because if they're executing him because they caught him like they're gonna just say oh but the rest of you are fine now that we killed him um (laughs) but yeah so at the same time you know this this is also an element of the show where it raises the question of whether or not they might now include an element from the books that they had not included so far, even though the point at which it would have been more, you know, obviously included was earlier. So, like, again, without spoiling it, because it's possible that that's something that they're going to incorporate, but there was definitely a significant character and plot thread established in the books related to all of this that just hasn't been in the show at all. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see if that's going to be tied in somehow. Um, I would be surprised, though. I still think the most straightforward way for the show to handle it is that Melisandre does something, and that's what brings him back. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Makes sense. Makes sense. So uh, Thorne admits that he and the other officers killed John and I never disobeyed an order I guess I guess my first standing order would always be don't kill me yeah it's like (laughs) up until the point where you conspired with others to assassinate him that's that's kind of an implicit order I think but now I you know at the same time we can take his point um and I think you know given that we you know we can we can take for granted for a moment that we think he made the wrong decision, but take a moment to put ourselves in in his shoes and we can understand why he felt like he needed to do it. You know what I mean? It's like he has already made so many disastrous decisions and he intended to continue in that path and it was going to make it even worse and worse and worse. And even if, and like he even says, I'm sure that he thought he was doing the right thing but he was going to ruin us all if he kept doing it. And, uh, but one thing I really liked that I kind of felt a little bit surprised by is having it definitively establish that even outside of the little crew that Davos has got with him now with, um, with Ed and, and, you know, John allies one through four. Um, I liked establishing that even some of the other brothers were really unhappy and angry and, you know, traitors, traitors and that sort of thing, even if they kind of get talked down, because there's an element of, okay, you call us a traitor, you're mad, that's fine, but, like, are you going to actually draw your sword and start swinging it around, or are you going to shut up, because it's really one or the other. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I liked I liked that the the other crows were not just uh, on board. They you yeah. know 
some of them were angry, even if they were ultimately talked out of armed revolt. It, 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 it makes you wonder though. It's like, what is so different from what Alistair Thorne did and what the group did up at Caster's Keep did? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely like we, we know more about the various intentions. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's kind of like the, the, the Craster's Keep mutiny was definitely more about personal self-interest of we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. We, We don't like you. We're going to be selfish and kill you so that we can stay here and live like kings or, you know, as close as we have available whereas what thorn seems sincere about is genuinely believing that he is doing the right thing for the watch and he means it you know we might disagree but i don't think we i don't think any of us really think that he was motivated by um oh true true. kind of on the whole of it you know they both they both betrayed and killed their lord commander I think the big difference is there are now, now thousands of wildlings south of the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and yeah. However you feel about being a traitor to your Lord commander, a lot of people are pissed off about that. Right. Well, they, you know, anything. they, they left John's body, but they made that traitor grave for yeah. him. Right. Cause their, their feeling is, it's like, sure. We're betraying him, but he betrayed the whole cause first. Mm-hmm. And that's why mm-hmm. we did it. Is to stop him. Yeah. So it's well, definitely it's down to like the whole idea that when join when join when John joins the Watch, their biggest enemy are the wildlings. Mm-hmm. And someone says it at some point, but it's like you didn't build a wall to keep men out. Mm-hmm. That that's not why we have this giant wall. The, your enemy is not men. It's it's not supposed to be the wildlings. And most of the watch, they still don't get that. Mm-hmm. And and that's the that's the hard thing that John had to convince them of it, but he didn't. He just ordered them to accept the wildlings. Well, and I, I suspect that maybe uh, part of it, too, is that so few of their men went up to Hardholm and then came back. Yeah. Um, so there's still an awful lot of those people who still don't have any firsthand experience with the whites or what's really going on there. Yeah. And I think in, to some extent they can be forgiven for not fully appreciating that a threat that has not surfaced in the thousands of years is now doing so again. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, the same threat that you've been fighting your whole life, plus the generation before that and the generation before that, the generation before that, the generation before that, the generation before that, all fought the wildlings who are no question a legitimate and established threat that mm. really kills people, has really caused problems, and is now been deliberately let in and allowed to settle on the very lands that they were raiding not months earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think it's completely reasonable to understand why people would be slow to convert to John's Oh, absolutely. Side. Well, I think we talked last, you know, last at the end of last season when John was was betrayed. That's like, oh, oh, oh no, bloop, bloop. <laughs> Are we still okay? Your good. opinion we're on. is it invalid. Like we're off, 
for a second. Um, but the, uh, it's, I think we talked about how while it's, it's understandable why that, you know, public relations is not John's strong suit, <laughs> but to a large extent, he was making so many radical changes so quickly and really not taking into account how angry and upset people were. He was just thinking, well, I'm the Lord Commander. I'm taking that responsibility seriously, and that means I have to do what I think is right, and everyone else just has to fall in line. And it really just, maybe it was emblematic of him coming from from sort of a highborn place, even if he's technically a bastard, just this expectation that order will be maintained in that regard. You know, it's like this idea that, oh, well, I'm the Lord Commander, they have to do what I say, and it really not fully crossing his mind. Well, I, I guess maybe it's also just that he is so persuaded because he has firsthand experience of what they're up against, the White Walkers, right. the, uh, the, the Whites, and the idea, so like, he knows what they're really up against, he knows what has to be done, but his failure is in realizing that not everybody else understands that. And there, as a result, his actions, the right thing or not, look like madness to other people. And that's going to cause its own problems, as, as was so thoroughly demonstrated. <laughs> Very true. Mm -hmm. So we go back to uh, the guys holed up in the room, Davos. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, says... You know, we're not the only ones who were saved by Jon Snow. <clears throat> and Dolores takes off, yep. which my assumption is he's going to go talk to the Wildlings, right? Go talk to Tormund. That's my assumption, I, yeah. I love how it doesn't dawn on anyone but Davos. And they're like, oh, yeah. All right. And that goes along with the whole they were constantly their enemies, so mm -hmm. they don't think of them as an ally. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and the other thing is, though, that it's not necessarily obvious that the wildlings are going to just be gung-ho to come and fight again. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. on the one hand, some of them might be inclined to feel like, well, sure, we'll fight the crows. We always have, you know, just because they let us through this time doesn't mean, like, who knows, maybe they're just waiting to somehow trick us somehow. So let's go wipe them out. They'd be just fine with that. Um, but, but there's also the element of short-sighted thinking of like, what is their plan exactly? They're, they're willing to kill everybody else at Castle Black in order to what? Get revenge? Like, what good is that going to do anybody? Yeah. Or they're just willing to take out the figureheads and then take back the, the group that's easily swayed. Yeah. That seems like that would be a tall order <laughs> to try know. to. Davos has some sort of a plan. I'm sure of that. Yeah. And uh, show the show group is definitely lucky to have Davos because the book group does not have him. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Davos uh, is in a completely different place in the books. Interesting. Mm -hmm. so the, um, I love Davos, though. Just go ahead and, yeah. and say oh, that Davos again. is amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody likes him. 
Yeah. For sure. Um, I see on Viv's notes, she also said Dolores said, off to get Tormund Wild Things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she concurred. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to say real quick also, people that are watching the stream, you can comment at YouTube or go to the event page. And there's the Q&A app. If you click on the Q&A, you can ask questions. If you have thoughts on, on what we're talking about or questions, chime in anytime. Indeed. And I'm, I'm keeping uh, an eye see. on the YouTube page. So if any comments come in there, I will be sure to relay them. Next <laughs> scene at Castle Black, we had a... Uh, so Sir Alistair comes to parlay. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they are all immediately saying, you know, or Davos immediately says, you know, if we open that door, we're dead, which I don't know that I feel that way because he always does seem honorable to me. Yeah. He seemed like pretty consistently honorable other than the treason, but it, we, we understand it's justified in his mind. Well, it's interesting because I definitely got that sense too, that as far as Thorne's concerned, he would really rather everybody just just get in line and say, okay, look, we know you didn't like that. It's done now. Let's, let's move on. If you all are willing to put down your swords, then, you know, we'll, we'll move on. And I, I tend to feel like that seems like a sincere offer to me. And I don't know why Thorne wouldn't make that a sincere offer. He might be willing to say, those who are closest to John, we need to talk to try to make sure that you're not just going to come out and try to stick a knife in my throat the moment I open the door. But at the same time, maybe we don't have to fight unless you guys are determined to make it a fight. Mm -hmm. I, I think Davos is reacting more to the Knights of Dragonstone than to the knights of the watch like alistair was a knight before he became a, a a man of the black um and davos says he says i've been fighting and running from men like that all my life so he's taking his preconceived notions mm -hmm. and he's placing them on alistair and i don't think that alistair would go against his word per se uh, I do think those surrounding him might. So if something happened to Alistair, it'd be a very different situation. Yeah. Um, and I also just really love the, oh, and, and we're going to want some mutton too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we'll get you mutton and some good horses. Okay, we'll give you horses. <laughs> well, what I loved funny. about that is that not only is it just funny, but it's Davos just being so smart in the sense of, we are in a very vulnerable position here in this, like, and we can keep them out for now, but only because they really don't want to try to burst their way in here. Yeah. Um, and so we're really, and we are so vastly outnumbered that it's really kind of ridiculous for us to be making any demands at all. But if they're going to even make an offer, let's, let's just start adding semi-reasonable not crazy things onto it just to kind of get them back in the mindset of really thinking in terms of, well, okay, I guess we may, you know, how much, how much food would we give them? What, which horses would it be? Like, yeah. as opposed to this idea of, you know, if there is a case of, we just want them to open the door so we can go in and kill them. You want to kind of try to get them 
off balance. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very clever. It has them busy. It has them thinking about other things. And it's not a, they didn't open the door, so I'm going to kick it down mm-hmm. sort of a situation. Yeah. Establish that there is a possibility of a compromise here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if there's it's... really not, and you're just trying to buy time. <laughs> <laughs> He says, if uh, Ed doesn't come through, we're, we're fucked. Mm-hmm. But, ah, but there's the red woman. You haven't seen her do what I've seen her do. Yeah. My immediate thought when he said that, though, was it's like, well, yeah, so what has he seen her do? Well, I'm thinking the shadow baby is the most dramatic, but that, you know, that was not a, uh, like a trivial thing. She needed to have sex with uh, Stannis to make one That's of those. A lot of prep time. Yeah, but um, I don't think Davos knows about the prep time. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I'm not mm. saying that he should know. I'm saying that uh, um, that we we know that it's not yeah. as sim- sil- uh, simple as that. But what's also interesting, I think, is how Davos was always the one with Stannis arguing against doing any of Melisandre's mm. black magic and saying that stuff's wrong. We shouldn't use it. If that's what it takes to win, then maybe we don't deserve to win. Right. And so for now, him now, more than willing. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. And he or doesn't even know just... about Shireen yet. Right. Oh, I don't know if he, could i mean melisandre would have had to tell tell them right yeah Hmm. i don't think she i don't think she even told anyone about what happened with stannis's army did she it's not not, they had they have to know well i well see i think yeah definitely has not been explicitly stated now the show i i if i Hmm. i would bet that what she told them is that, um, you know, we were almost there and everything was fine when I left and they told me to come back up to Castle Black because I was needed here. Uh, I bet, I mean, th- th- what else would she, could she have told them? You know what I oh, mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, um, I, I think the show it may have been a little bit slippery on purpose in terms of, Let's just pretend that there was a conversation there that happened that led to this current situation without having to really get into it. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I, if I recall, when she returned to Castle Black, there wasn't actually a scene where they had a conversation, but there was an exchanged look between her and Davos where she was looking haunted and he was suspicious, but that's mm-hmm. kind of where we left it. I think. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's yeah. all we really got was a, a glance, mm-hmm. which doesn't tell us much. So all the more reason for it to not, for it to be potentially a little bit surprising that his, his go-to idea would be, Hey, let's see what magic tricks the red woman's got up her sleeve. Very true. Very true. So, uh, oh, so then there's the whole scene that we already discussed of her her transformation. Um, production notes from that. There was a uh, article I read with 
the director, interview with the director about how they filmed the scene. And they had decided whether they were going to go 100% CGI or what they were going to do. And he said, so what they did was identical to the Circe's walk of shame is that it is a body double. So the primary actress would have all the makeup, you know, shoulders up, makeup, and then a body double. And then they composited it. And the same thing with the the crone is that they had a, a body double actress and they had did um, prosthetics and a mix of prosthetics hmm. and CGI on her face and torso and then body double. So, so it was, it was um, the, the same, ac- the Melisandre actress's face, but with old age makeup. Is that what they're mm-hmm. saying? See, for some reason, I, in my head, I, I just assumed that it was just a completely different actress, but I suppose that makes sense. Um, you know, they, they wanted to try to have it be plausibly same person, only much older. Yeah. And both scenes, I mean, compositing everything is like, it's just, it's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just visually stunning, you know? Yeah. Just it's very effective. I mean, guess. you know, the, especially walking across the room to get into bed, although I think that in that case, we, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. Like I said, I, I had just sort of assumed that the, the old Melisandre was just an actress who looked like that. Mm. I thought, I thought the scene worked really well. I thought it was really long. Mm. Uh, but other than that, it worked really well. Yeah. My only, yeah, my only hesitation is I am okay with the ambiguous nature of it in terms of like not really being clear what mm-hmm. is it, what it is that's happening. I'm okay with that as long as they do eventually tell us. Yeah. If something just happens then and we don't really ever understand, I'm going to feel like they could have handled it better. Yeah. If this is like, um, Oh shoot. The Pycelle. If this is like Pycelle, where we find out that the, he's not actually old and feebled, that he has a lot of spring in his step and he can walk around and do all these crazy things, and then it never comes up in the future, <laughs> I'm kind of annoyed. Why did you show us she's old if it's not part of the story? Right. <laughs> I I feel sure that it's it it's they they made a big deal about the reveal you know what i mean that's what that's what they end the episode on so i feel like especially given that there is a significant expectation that she's going to do something i i feel like the title of the episode yeah it's it's got to be it's got to be story related it's just that right now we don't know how yet Mm -hmm. Uh, that's my prediction anyway yeah next we jump to winterfell Mm-hmm. Ramsey's grieving for Miranda in his way and uh, in his way <laughs> he looked he looked seriously bummed his toy was and then you know <laughs> it was probably the, dogs. the most emotion he could ever express for anyone yeah uh it definitely did feel though kind of like the the what I was just saying is like his toy was broken it's like yeah like it's it's like a, a a six-year-old who had a favorite toy and now it's it's broken and ruined and 
like they're sad because they'll miss it, but they, they don't like feel bad for the toy. Right, right. I agree they, completely. And he's lost his two favorite toys. Yeah. He, he's lost Reek and he lost Miranda. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, you know, Sansa on top of it and Roos explains exactly why that's Mm-hmm. Like, this is, and I love too that Roos is really just explaining. Listen, you idiot! Like the fact that you had the uh, the legitimate heir to Winterfell, the only thing that was going to make the North take our side in any way, and then you also had the Iron, you know, the heir to the Iron Islands, sort of, and you ruined both of those situations because you had to screw around. Like, you have just thrown away all our cards. And so just because we, yes, we were able to rout a heavily weakened Stannis, who wasn't really much in the picture anyway, as far as we could tell, um, that's not a big deal. And so now you don't have a wife, so you are not going to have an heir. So uh, what good are you to me? And I loved how Rooster was just really pretty brutally pragmatic about just explaining to him it's like this is not a whoops this is oh you might have ruined everything and i might just be done with you as a result but roos let it happen every step of the way well that's roos's deal though is that he makes everything everybody else's fault that's always been his yeah it's like when he was working for rob he was always complaining oh rob doesn't listen to me rob doesn't listen to me i guess i'll have to betray him (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's really his fault if he had just listened to me. That's it. It's kind of been his style all along. Is everything is always somebody else's fault? And he did open it with his his favorite move. You know, give praise Ramsey and then punch mm-hmm. him in the nuts. Yeah. Oh yeah. And 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 I also love the little dig, which makes me worry for poor Walda. Um, well, maybe the Maesters are right, and Walda will give me a son, and then I won't have to worry about you. Yeah. Now. In the books, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but in the books, um, Ramsay, uh, so Roos had legitimate heirs, at least an heir, and Ramsay killed him so that he wouldn't have an heir. And that's mm-hmm. the only reason why Ramsay was legitimized. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's it's just one thing that's been left out of the show that I keep forgetting that it was left out of the show. But so <laughs> this threat of Walda having a son is a very real threat. Am I mistaken? Like the the way I remember it now, bear in mind, I haven't like read through that element in, uh, in a while, but like the way I remembered it is that it like his, his being made legitimate was, like much later, like killing the real heir was like something as kids where it was suspicious, but not definite. Right. Yeah. And him being made legitimate was way later. Yes. So it wasn't absolutely. like in response to. Right. It, so I'm just trying to, to to clarify if I'm remembering it correctly, but, but you're right though, that certainly the, the absence of another heir is, Absolutely relevant, you know, and mm-hmm. Ramsey is absolutely a second choice to a real heir, and so he and he has to know that, and so you y- you have to wonder. Roos 
definitely seems like he he it's not obvious what he thinks of Ramsey because on the one hand, you know, he can say, Oh, you played your games with her, like oh, you know, like oh Ramsey. You just remember your games. Ugh. But on that, the other that, hand, that to me, by the way, just rings of boys will be boys. Right, right. But so my point is though when he tells Ramsey who he knows what Ramsey's like, oh, I just hope my wife has a boy so that can be the heir and then I don't have to worry about you. Doesn't that just put a big bullseye target on his wife? It kind of does. I know. It does. And I don't, I can't imagine that he actually wants anything to happen to Walda, mm -hmm. but it just, I think he is so arrogant mm -hmm. that he can't imagine Mm -hmm. A, in the books, that it'll happen again, and then B, in the show, that he would actually have the audacity to touch my wife, you know? Mm -hmm. And that he's just so arrogant and egotistical that he's taunting him, but he doesn't think that he he still thinks of himself as untouchable. Yeah. Maybe it's just for him, It's um, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. It's if if he kills her, it's motivation that he's going to go and get Sansa and make himself mm -hmm. worthy. Maybe, Maybe it's just the fire he needs yeah. lit under his ass. <laughs> well, I not you know I I think you're onto something there, Chooch. I think he really almost doesn't care. You know, he like he would be fine with Ramsey being the heir if Ramsey can stop screwing up and get the job done. Or if mm -hmm. not, then you know I have to threaten that there's another possibility so that you don't stop trying to impress me. Mm -hmm. um, and right now you're not impressing me, so I have to make it clear that you are in a hole in that regard. Um, mm. So I think you might be right. But the other, the other analogy I was thinking of is just to use the, you know, the dogs is such a theme with these characters is the idea that um, Roos seems to think of Ramsey the way you have a dog owner who would never bite them or at least hasn't so far, even though it has attacked other people and other dogs. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's just the way he is. Don't worry about him. He will. Oh, well, okay. Look, he bit your dog, but it's because you let your dog run up next to him. That's your fault, really. Um, but he doesn't think that the dog would ever bite him. And so that's yeah. why he doesn't worry about it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next up, the, the hunt is on for Sansa and Theon. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Reek from whose whoever's perspective you're. <laughs> yeah, I think I I feel like I I I personally even when he thought of himself as Reek, I never switched in my head. I still always thought that's Theon, even when he's calling himself Reek. Um, so definitely show show Reek Theon is mm -hmm. has always been Theon. Like I I think in the I think in the books. I truly believed he was Reek. Um, but there is definitely a switch back. And I think, um, much like in the show, once they start having him play the role of Theon again, that's where they lost him. Mm -hmm. And he regained being Theon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so in any case, um, one of the things that I 
like, I don't know, I think maybe maybe it would have been hard to do, but just given the nature of the way they showed them jumping off the wall at the end of last time and not showing them land and then cutting to them just running and they're fine, I feel like that skips an important beat, which is that they survived and they were okay because there was very deep snowdrifts at the bottom of the wall and that's what they were counting on to break their fall, but the show just never established that. And instead has them jump, you know, 30 yards down to the ground and just never tell us why they're okay. So I feel like that was something like, like, okay, fine. I don't really want to worry too much about it, but that does feel like they skipped a step to me. I can, I can see that. It didn't bother me too much. Um, but. I can totally see that. Like it, it, it is cheating. Mm-hmm. They want to uh, fake out the dogs. He says, "We got across the river." Oh no, it's too cold. I'll die. He's like, uh, "I've seen what these hounds can do. Trust me. <laughs> you can, you can live with a little cold." Yeah. So they or, do make it, or but... even if you can't, it's not. <laughs> it's, right. it's a better, better death. Still, yeah. Good trade. Um, but uh, basically all for naught, because pretty much instantly they figured, oh, well, the tracks ended at the river and let's cross the river. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, the concern, the, the hope would be that the snow would, you know, wind would maybe cover their footprints, but mm. the dogs wouldn't be able to track the scent over the river. But I mean, as we saw, it was kind of a vain hope anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty quick. They didn't have enough of a lead, honestly, to to be able to outrun men on horses with trained hounds that do this all the time. Like yeah. it's it's <laughs> just it, yeah, it was always going to be a stretch. Um, I think in uh, the the equivalent portions of the book, they had more time before anyone realized they were gone. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. And- yeah, so I, <laughs> no, I, mm-hmm. that was really the end of my thought. So we do and, get uh, Theon trying to defend Sansa. Yeah, and I think it was totally genuine and um, definitely a redeeming part on uh, Theon's story arc. I mean, he definitely was there to try to help her and was willing to have all manner of things done to him to protect her. So uh, I'll give him credit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he tried. He he was willing to uh, mm-hmm. give himself up, knowing what we know about what that would mean, even if yeah. it was kind of uh, ineffective. I mean, see, that's that's part of the the problem. Like, on the one hand, okay, well, I'm I'm going to say two con- contradictory things. <laughs> one is that Theon is a dangerous ally. Because he's such a mess right now that, like, even if he's really trying to help you, it's not at all clear that he'll be successful in doing so. And it's possible that his attempts will actually wreck whatever chance you might have had on your own. Now, that said, chance is not necessarily equipped to do this all by herself regardless. And so Mm -hmm. accepting any help available is still probably better than if she was trying to do it completely by herself. Um, 
especially at least as shown where she's still very kind of traumatized and, and shaken and scared by the whole thing. Um, but I will also say though, that, uh, I, I appreciated that she seems to have recognized the sacrifices that he's now made for her. And mm-hmm. not that it means all is forgiven, but it also can mean we're not enemies anymore. Right. Yeah. Luna, stop. It, it's a very different um, relationship in the books because it's not Sansa. It's her best friend, Jane Poole. And oh, right. there isn't this, you betrayed my family, you killed my brothers thing. Um, she still doesn't know that that didn't actually happen. So far mm. as she knows, she's running away and trusting the person who killed her two baby brothers. Is right. a pretty big thing to get over. Yeah. But Brienne and Podrick to the rescue. Yay! <laughs> was the most happy moment of the episode. Uh, it was, although I have to say that uh, the the show has trained me, just like Ramsey training Reek, to kind of flinch at the uh, the idea that something good would happen. Of like, <laughs> right. oh no, this seems too good to be true. How's it all going to go horribly wrong? Um, and then for it to actually work out pretty well and be really touching is like, oh, okay. I think I'm happy with this, but maybe it's still a trick. <laughs> it's like him telling uh, Yara to to leave him alone because he, no, no, it's it's a trap. It's a trick. You're trying to trick me. Tell tell Master I'm loyal. Oh. <laughs> The sh- you mean the show is is uh <laughs> is creepy McFucko? <laughs> uh yeah. And you are weak. Well, well there's horrible. an element of that, you know, just in the sense yeah. of the show has definitely like think how think how many scenes there have been in the entire run of the show that were just straight up I'm happy about what's happening right now. Oh no. <laughs> how many have there been? Can you count them Not on many. one hand? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it it all goes down to the to the first episode of you know when we meet again. I'll tell you all yeah. about your mother. <laughs> now uh, that said, um, you know, despite my sort of um, reflexive concern that something was going to go horribly wrong, uh, super happy about the development. Um, yes. Not only just uh, you know it it being plausible from a story perspective why Brienne would be in the area. Um, and, uh, and then just that there's just this dynamic of they had met previously and Sansa spurned her and, and, but now there's a second chance and, and it's like, it's so meaningful and we, everybody gets their moment in that, uh, that great bit where, you know, Brienne is kneeling Sansa is accepting her into his service and doing the oath, and she she gets the little nod of approval from Theon, like, no, I think this is the right thing. And uh, then Pod helps her with the uh, remembering the, <laughs> the right words. That was hysterical. Yeah, and so it was just, it was so it was great that and like they all had kind of something to do, and it was just deeply meaningful for all the characters. I thought it was great. 
And even in the fight, I mean, uh, Pod was fighting, Brienne was fighting, and even Theon got to do a killing blow, which was very helpful. Um, I still say that Brienne being knocked off the horse was uh, off character, but I understand it from a story point that it had to happen so that we could have that whole Theon killing shot. I just think that she's a better horse rider than that. Um, And I, I expect... I would have expected Pod to have fallen off, but that's okay. That's okay. That's just me. Remember, though, where we, she was left at the end of yeah. last season? She was in rough shape already. She had been oh, yeah. exhausted and doing a lot of fighting already. Yes. So she's not in top shape as we are reintroduced to her in this uh, well, and, episode. And as I was saying to my husband, I mean, you know, it, it's really good for her to be able to reunite and save Sansa. I mean, because she spent all summer looking for Finn and she couldn't find him. That, that was a that was a Force Awakens joke. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not, sorry. That joke landed really well this afternoon and then. Really sorry, flat. it's my fault. I was distracted. <laughs> But yeah, no. So, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, at least she gets to succeed here. Because yeah. uh, in Force Awakens, she was kind of a chump. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, okay, I could get onto a whole tangent here about, about this. But um, I have hope for Captain Phasma in Episode 8 that, um, like, the only reason I can think of for them to have, first of all, I, I feel like, there there must have been some other plot with her that ended up on the cutting room floor, even if it's not in the deleted scenes or whatever. Um, but I hope that what they're essentially doing is like Han Solo had Boba Fett. They're giving uh-huh. Poe or uh, they're giving Finn a nemesis here yes. to come after him and be pissed about how this all went down. That's that's my hope for her character. Yes. And well, and the thing is, like Boba Fett, Boba Fett really didn't do much in the movies. So it, it wouldn't be too surprising <laughs> for me. But we did see a little glint of a chrome stormtrooper in uh, the trailer for Rogue One. So I'm very hopeful there as well for more, more right. of that. <laughs> Back to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Back to Game of Thrones. So Viv uh, completely agreed. <clears throat> Sansa and Bran swear oaths to each other with an upended tree in the background, snow covered and everything. Quite symbolic. Those two finding each other was my biggest wish, but Reek, oh, she said, wait, Reek, mm-hmm. but Reek saves Podrick and all surviving heaven on effing earth. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was great. You know, the fact that, as I was um, saying earlier, that you could count on one hand the number of scenes in this oh, yeah. whole run where you're really happy about what's happening. Like, it's it's so few but that just makes them all the more special when they happen. And, yes. uh, you know, I I would really like to see them start to kind of get their act together. Maybe um, maybe uh, since uh, Roos's whole point that he was making to Ramsey is we can't get the North to get behind us without uh, Sansa. Well, how about the North starts getting behind Sansa? without them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh especially once she can start like telling people how horrible he was and like everything he's doing um and we have to remember too that the um by going this direction um the boltons have really pissed off the lannisters 
Oh, Not yeah. that the Lannisters are in great shape themselves right now, but uh, the, the, there's been, you know, uh, a gauntlet thrown, and it was dependent on their expectation that they were going to have the North to support them because they had Sansa. So yeah, once those tweets get their make their way. <laughs> yep, yeah. and um, uh, I. I don't know. It. I would love for them to, you know, for Theon to say, well, you know, your brothers aren't actually dead. Mm-hmm. And for them to go, oh, so where would they be? And yeah. for them to find Rickon and mount something of that nature, you know, and go well, find the reeds or something. Theon did tell Santa about that already, didn't he? Did he? I think he did last season. He told he told her yeah. Yeah, that Bran and Rickon were alive. Or at, mm-hmm. at the very least, he told her that he, the two boys he killed were not really them. I could have sworn that he did. He told somebody. I didn't think he told Sansa. He he had definitely told uh, Ramsay previously. Uh, yeah, yeah, it looks like it looks. Oh, I think it, he did when it was a moment when she like that was part of what inspired her to actually go and light the candle. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I may be misremembering, but I thought that he had told her that. Interesting. But well, yeah. in the um, go ahead at the after the trailer or after the credits, they do you know coming <clears throat> on the next episode, mm-hmm. they do show uh, Sansa's posse their next move, which the way they framed it to me made it sound like they're going to go look for Arya, mm-hmm. but. I know, and like the overall season, like coming, we see some Iron Island folks. So mm-hmm. I don't know if Theon's going to take her and make their way there or something, or well, his sister comes looking for him. Yeah, we'll have to see because that's another element, uh, a little bit like what I was saying earlier about the, you know, this whole resurrection plot line is that there is a whole thing that consisted of like a third of book four that they just left out of the show altogether. But it sounds like now they're maybe going to do it, or at least they're going to do a modified version of it. They're going to do something related to that. Um, Oh, look, we got a Q and a, and it's our good buddy. Sheriff Bullock. I knew he, I forgot to mention, I knew he was going to be late. Our new earlier time conflicts with his work schedule, but uh, we do need to read uh, Valor Mogulis podcast. Oh, there it is. Velomogulis podcasters just flew in from the free city of Bravos, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> so we need to add his name into the hat for the contest. Yay. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, by the way, I did just double check. Uh, yeah, uh, Reek Theon told Sansa last season um, when she was pressing him about mm-hmm. information uh, that it was it was two farmers. Okay. The Miller's kids. Okay. So, like, she has no idea where they might actually be because Theon had no idea. You know, he certainly wanted to know. Um, But uh, at the same time, he did tell her that it's possible that they're out there somewhere. Also, in the coming next episode, um, Rams, they show Ramsey. I I think it looks like he's heading to Castle Black, or at least they're saying that's the logical place for them to go. So. Hopefully the uh, Sansa Posse Brain Trust, you know, comes up with diverting somewhere else and not doing the obvious thing. That would be good, uh, especially considering <laughs> the way right now. 
Hey, I'm Jon Snow's sister. Um, really? Oh, okay. Right. Never mind. Go I away. Just try- I was trying to think. I was, I was trying to think if Brienne would know anything about what's going on at Castle Black, because Stannis would have known some, but they didn't exactly chat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they didn't get up there like they they were potentially going up to Castle Black to ask about it because that might be where. Someone would end up, but then they ran into Sansa at the end of the crossroads and knew she was hent- heading to Winterfell, so that was the new target, and they haven't really been doing any other traveling since then. Right. So right. I guess she's, yeah, she still wouldn't know either. I feel like, I feel like it would still be the obvious place to head first. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I tend to agree that I think it's more interesting storytelling-wise if we give them something else to do instead. Yeah. Unexpected. Especially since they've established in that scenes from next time that that's what Ramsey assumes they're going to do. And he's going to try to take steps accordingly. You hope some one of them is smart enough to think what would Ramsey do. Well, and also just to point <laughs> out that um, they're going to know which party doesn't come back and where they were going. Yeah. Um, yeah. so they'll know at least where, which direction we were headed up to that point. Yeah. And, uh, Sheriff Bullock, uh, says, uh, so I don't know what y'all talked about, but my favorite moment by far was Brienne pledging her loyalty to Sansa. It made me teary eyed. I hope this is the season of Sansa. I don't want any more ugly victimization, victimization of Sansa, queen of the North. Hundred percent. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. We did talk about that already, but we were right on the same page. Yep. Yep. Perfect summary. <laughs> um. So next we jump to King's Landing. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Cersei's luck has turned as her darling Marcella sails into the harbor. On Viv's notes, um, she sums up pretty much what I was thinking. Cersei lived an entire lifetime in that brief moment when she realized Marcella was dead. All the money on costumes and backdrop, and I can only see her eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a a hell of a a shot, just this transition of after all this crap, I'm finally going to get to see my my daughter again, and Jamie will be back, and we'll start to get get my feet under me again. We're going to get all this figured out. And then no, it's, it's not only as horrible as it is, but it's like brings everything crashing down as we kind of see later into the point of her just starting to get almost fatalistic about it of like, well, I don't even know what I was doing. It was fate. You know, this was always going to happen. It's prophecy. Why bother? Try to fight it. Although, well, yeah, the line, if I can make something so pure, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I'm not a monster. That was so sweet. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I felt for her. You know, I really did. Yeah, she's crazy and all the, and, and has done some evil things. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she was able to see the pureness in her daughter and from all intents and purposes, I mean, we don't really see that much of Marcella in the books, but from, I mean, in the show, but from everything we've seen in the books, everything we've seen in the show, she really was everything that Cersei said she was, that mm-hmm. she somehow was this awesome person. And, and Tommen's a pretty neat uh, fellow himself, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, two out of the mm-hmm. three kids are pretty good kids. Yeah. Um, it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I, that was one thing that's like the, I, I don't know if I want to like argue her, her point or anything, but I was also just kind of thinking that like nobody even mentions Tommen in this episode. Nope. It's yeah. like he's not even he's not even well, brought no, up. Well, the the high sparrow does. Oh uh, well, I, only in the context of your husband's been asking about you to Mar- yeah. Marjorie. But I mean, that's kind of Jamie and Cersei, Tommen's parents, don't yeah. ask mention him, especially in conversations where they're explicitly talking about her kids and how there's a prophecy that they're all going to die, and they don't yeah. mention the king. Oh, maybe we should start thinking about protecting Tommen then, huh? Yeah. Well, and also just this idea. No, that's not what Jamie was thinking. He kind of wrote him off and said, it's me and you, fuck fuck the rest of the world. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, though, because when he says we're going to, like, we're going to take back everything we've lost and more, like, I can't, my immediate thought there was, like, yeah, how does that work? <laughs> I'm I'm not sure what you're what you you want to have more kids? Is that the idea there? I th- Jamie's not the brightest bulb. The, <laughs> yeah. Well, I and I think Sharpest he knife. he's just trying to snap her out of this fatalistic nihilism, mm-hmm. right? I think that's what he's trying to get to, but there was an element in my head where I was thinking so He's just going to propose that, like, well, the prophecy said you were only going to have three kids, right? So let's let's get to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> Except that, uh, you know, given her current difficulties with the uh, the church and the still pending trial, um, suddenly being pregnant again is probably not the right career move, <laughs> right. legally speaking. <laughs> right when her brother gets back into town. Yeah. Because her her whole insistence, I think the the only thing she actually confessed to was uh, sleeping with Lancel, right? Mm-hmm. And that was only because Lancel was there to say, "Yep, that's what happened." But yeah, so she's right. she's still denying that she ever slept with Jamie. But for if she were to turn up pregnant again now, that would look really bad. So not that yeah. I think anyone was really suggesting that. That was just my own kind of. Like thinking about, well, what does it mean to the idea that you're going to take back what you lost and more? Yeah. So again, on the coming up next clips, there was a clip of Jamie talking to the High Sparrow. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's his action is first, let's go free my nephew. Yeah. Well, because we just, you know, they didn't really get into it this time. But what we that, you know, it's kind of what I was just saying is that she was released only at, like pending trial for the stuff that she wouldn't confess to which is basically that she mm. had sex with Jamie and that produced the you know the you know the the three children so like that trial is still technically supposed to happen and then we also have you know Marjorie and Loris still in jail but we also have to remember that like Marjorie is only in jail for lying about what she knew about Loras. That's mm-hmm. that's all she's charged with at the moment. Um, even if there might well have been other things that theoretically could have come up, certainly in the books there was more to the charges. But right now, that's all she's imprisoned for. Um, and her concern is that you know she can't 
confess without further implicating Loras, except that, you know, I think some of the scenes this time, I'm kind of jumping to those scenes, but uh, she might. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, she, I think we got a little hint this time that she maybe is starting to consider kind of like Cersei did. I, I can't just stay here indefinitely. Uh, I need to be able to be out there and get information and make moves. And I can't do that from in here. And as much as the king says he wants to see me and inquires after me, he's not getting me out. I need to. So it seemed like she might be starting to think about what she might need to do in order to get out. But the problem she faces is that if she tries to confess like Cersei did, um, her confession would be, yes, I knew all about what Loras was doing. Which puts him in kind of a worse spot. That's weird. I, I had read it. Um, maybe I'm going soft. I had read it. The the high sparrow was kind of giving her an out when she says, you know, I, I can't confess to anything. I haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. And he says, what you've never sinned. So maybe it's just hopeful thinking, but I'm thinking he's giving her an out. Like you can confess to something else well it, i mean it, something less and still get out of this because i think perhaps with cersei like that may be enough for him he's mm-hmm. established his his uh position yeah it's possible know? that nominee where they go or she might just come up with something that's sort of good enough because that was kind of the thing with cersei is that they they let her go because she confessed to some of it but right. uh but you know so maybe if uh, Marjorie finds, but see the problem is that they've kind of got her. They they kind of they have more proof of the charges against her than they did about Cersei. With Cersei, you know, there's the he said she said where they trust Lancel more than her. Um, but as far as the rest of it, like sleeping with Jamie, the illegitimate illegitimacy of the children, like they don't have proof of that. So, but with, with, I just think, you know, they have a witness testimony. I was just thinking politically that having the, the Cersei walk of shame is good enough mm-hmm. for cementing some power. And then now you can work with them mm-hmm. and have still hold something over them, like on the DL. Mm-hmm. Well, that you can keep him in check. That raises, or are is he truly just full on fanatic and going to see this all the way through? Well, right. That's that's what I was going to ask. That's that's the question: oh. is do we think that he is really <laughs> trying to wield political power and grow his power base in that way, or is he a true believer in the sense that no, he's going to do it the way he thinks it needs to be done, regardless of what subtleties might be a gain or a loss in that regard. Like I, I feel Stir like apart the kingdom and create a power vacuum. Well, you know, like that seems to be where his rhetoric goes. You know what I mean? And, you know, maybe he thinks that it shouldn't be a kingdom monarchy at all. It should be a theocracy. Hmm. I think that's very much what he believes. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree. And I definitely think that it's, uh, at least the way that we're seeing this in the book, I mean, in the show, why do I keep saying books when I mean show? Um, 
they seem to be targeting definitely they're going after the rich and the 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 ladies uh and when i say lady i mean of title they aren't really going after any of the lords though you notice Mm -hmm. like they're definitely trying to pull people down from their high towers but at the same time it's very gendered in who they're choosing to target Mm -hmm. because what happened to lancel lancel is one of their militants you know uh they they really aren't going after any of the men they're going after the women and uh it's it's very upsetting to watch but totally believable Mm -hmm. yeah I, I think that there, I mean, my read of the character, like I, you guys may recall, or, you know, if whoever either recalls or does not, but my, my take on the character last season was actually to feel pretty cynical about it. Like he really mm-hmm. was, um, kind of a, a little bit cynically building political power and using the whole faith rhetoric as kind of a, a weapon and a shield in order to do that. Like, not that he doesn't believe it, but that he's sort of pragmatic about when he applies it and when he doesn't. Um, I'm less sure about that now. I feel like I, you know, my read on him this time was that he, he feels like he's, he's got it. He's got people where he wants them now. And so why should he bend at all? Like, why should he offer Marjorie an out? if he thinks he can get everything. Yep. Because right now, like even if they establish, you know, it, it's all kind of tied together because if Tommen's not a legitimate king, then Marjorie's not a legitimate queen. So there's sort of a mutual interest there. Um, even if they, even if Cersei and Marjorie hate each other, they both have a vested interest in not completely destroying, um, you know, the, uh, the claim to the throne that Tommen has. Yeah. They, they, they have to be allies in that sense. Um, Sheriff Bullock has a question. Why aren't the Tyrells, uh, on the sept marching on the sept? Sorry. Uh, let's murder these fanatics already. And the commoners are okay with their beloved queen Marge being imprisoned like this. I feel like it would be easy for the Tyrells to turn the crowd against the High Sparrow. And I I think so. Um, but I think that they really enjoyed being able to throw stuff at Cersei. And as much as they liked Queen Marjorie, they hated Cersei so much more. And there is that, you know... Um, hatred towards the rich when you're poor mm. kind of a thing um that i think is is preventing the common folk from from rising up but where are the tyrells that that is a good question well we know that lancel's in one of the cells actually you know what i said why aren't they going after the men they are they're going after lancel but probably no, only because he's sleeping with men laura sorry did i say lancel Loris. yeah but uh yeah i think you're right though that like mm-hmm. laura's crime is being gay yeah. Um and yeah, um, so. and so there's that. And then uh yeah, so the the I expect to see some good Queen of Thorns action in this season. I, I hope yeah, so. Hopefully. I, I think that so the establishing what's going on 
with the Tyrells and their, their people and that whole situation, I suspect is going to be part of, um, the upcoming story. Yeah. I agree. Certainly if it's not, then that's a significant omission. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do I move down to Dorn? Sure. Oh, wait, wait. First, I have to insert my obligatory, are we going to have to hear the fucking Reigns of Castamere every <laughs> episode this season like last season? Okay. I'll never say it again. Did we hear it this time? I didn't this, notice. This, yeah. Yeah, when Cersei was bummed and Jamie was doing the oh, okay. you yeah. and me against the world. Yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that I wasn't listening for it. It was either. just like a violin refrain or cello refrain. I feel like the, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I don't care so much if it's just sort of the theme in the subtle background music and not singing the song in 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 the show. But um Because right. right now it's just it's kind just of a it's motif. It's part of the Lannister theme. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dorn was certainly the Dorn. Yeah. Um, I have to say uh, it's been a recent discovery for me personally that the phrase, Oh snap has entered my subconscious vocabulary to the extent <laughs> that I will sometimes say it spontaneously and not ironic in any way. Um, um, I said it when, when Ilaria stabbed Doran and, uh, and, um, who was it that uh, <laughs> stabbed? Uh, let's see. Obara was the one that stabbed Ariel Hota. Um, mm. I did not see that coming. Um, people who listened to our preview show know that I was just convinced that Doran was going to have to have Alaria executed. There was just no, he had mm -hmm. no other yep. choice, and that yeah. may well have been what was going to happen. Except she was more ambitious even than I realized, and just. I, I can't help but want think though that she mu she must have had this planned all along, and maybe she accelerated her schedule somewhat because of the message and the timing of it. She had to know he was gonna find out, and she yeah. was probably planning to do this all along. Yeah, I think she yeah, was. She waiting knew that for would it. be a death sentence. Sorry, I am very unhappy with the way that Dorn is being run in the show mm. um, because it's such a great story and such a great. A bunch of characters. I feel like, and and this has been my big complaint for the series. Uh, I feel like because in the books there are no good people, there are no bad people, there are only gray people. That in the series they have picked out some people and decided that they are going to be bad, and they are not going to let them be gray. So we got to see the Iron Islands done very poorly I think for that purpose and I think we're seeing Dorn being done very poorly for that purpose and they've definitely changed a lot of things they've changed the dynamic um, and and the, the fact that you cast Alexander Siddig in a role and then never actually used him it was very frustrating to me <laughs> because you know I, I and, and in the books the Prince of Dorn is loved by his people. You know, when she says that you're not loved by your people, they're happy to see you die, or I'm paraphrasing here, that's not actually the case in the books because he really is a man of his people. He really, you know, his his water gardens, it's 
All of the local children come in. It's not just the royalty. So the show shows it very different in the in the show than in the books. And while it's kind of neat to see them just killing everybody, at the same time, it's also kind of upsetting because it's like, that's not the Dorne I was expecting. Yeah. I didn't read any of Dorne yep. in the books. I only read book one. And I'm totally disappointed with Dorne. <laughs> Just because <laughs> there's so much potential and yes. there's so many tropes that they kind of touch on, but not really, or kind of unique things that I'd like to learn more about. So um, I think it gets really, really short shift, shrift, and it's like... um. Just boom, coup. Do, do, do. Sand snakes now own Dorne. Mm-hmm. And even like the map, it's like all of Dorne is just this one city. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. The city is not even um, named Dorne, incidentally. Right, yeah. right. The Sun Spear. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, could they just have diminished it mm-hmm. anymore, it seems? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I, I'll agree in principle but not feeling quite so negative on it as as, as you guys uh, seem to. Like, I do feel like there's some missed opportunity and like the casting of Doran, it does feel like they there was a very un- underutilized character. And I get the impression that when they cast him, they maybe had more in mind for him to do and then decided to kind of... to you know, when in, in their decision-making process, trying to break the story and how it was all going to go, my guess is that they felt like whatever it was that they had in mind for him to do, to be more involved, uh, wasn't working. And as a result, um, they, you know, they killed him off early. Um, which doesn't make it better necessarily, but I think that might be the explanation for why they would cast um, you know, a notable, you know, like an actor people would recognize and then have him kind of go out so quickly. Um, I also will, will just say that, you know, given like Ariel Hota, like, is, you know, they never gave him much to do in the show, um, to yeah. establish that, like in the books, there's a lot of time spent on how awesome he is. And so to have him go out like this, for that version of the character would be really disappointing. But if we're thinking about it just in terms of who that guy was in the show, he really never did anything other than stand there and look intimidating and uh, what he... Well, he he thwarted two other attempts. Yeah, but kind of... It wasn't as obvious that it was because he was such a badass as much as just he was the guy who was but there. I, I think it showed, though, he that you have to get him out of the way before you make any attempt on anyone else. Yeah, but like even still, it, whatever they had done to establish him as competent at all, he went down really fast from a tiny dagger. Yeah, and uh, and also just uh, one one other thing that I'll I'll point out, and we discussed this a little bit in the preview show, is that uh, Viv was totally right that in the scene where um, we see Ilaria take the antidote because she had had the poison mm-hmm. on her lipstick. All three of the sand snakes that we've met are standing there on the pier with her as the boat sails away. And then now two of them are on the boat. Okay. Okay. So I wasn't crazy. <laughs> no. And, and so, yeah, it's, it, they skipped a step. Um, 
it they definitely had established that one of them was going to go and be on the council like so that was part of the story yeah. but then just in terms of blocking it was not obvious like what are they just going on a different like they're going to catch up in the dinghy yeah. or something it, it it was it was really not handled in a clear way and i think that's something that's a legitimate criticism of the uh of the show um but yeah like at the same time i sort of disagree that i don't feel like ilaria and the sand snakes are totally evil and there's no gray because sure doran wanted pete doran prince doran wanted peace and so we're kind of primed to feel like the people who want there to be war instead of peace oh they're the bad guys and tristan seems nice and they killed him um but at the same time you know th- we, we loved oberon and he wanted revenge they're kind of trying to carry on what he wanted you know he was mm-hmm. doing it through diplomatic means only as kind of a preamble um so I am kind of fascinated with the idea of what the show might do with these characters now. Now, if they just drop everything and we never see Dorne again or these characters again, then that would be a profound disappointment. But I am yeah. interested in the plot line of what are the they going to do now that they run Dorne. That's way more interesting to me than whatever it would have been before. Um, so the idea of oh, one of the Sand Snakes is going to be on the council, but Doran just wants to maintain the status quo, so what? Who cares? Whereas this feels like it'll matter, and that's why I'm interested. I agree that it's it's much less complex than the way it was all presented in the books, but I'm not, I don't feel like it's a completely bad decision, even if it was handled in kind of a rushed manner. Yeah, so what if they're controlling, you know, communications? So they'll pin it on Prince Duran and say, we got him for you. Mm -hmm. They might. He had Marcella killed, but we got your back. Now, at the same time, the two Sand Snakes that killed Tristan, it'll be hard to explain that. But at the same time, you might be right if if they've got a story in place. They're controlling communications. And see, like, that's why I'm interested to see what's going to happen. I felt like it was a root, it was where it was before this development was a path to nothing happening. Whereas now stuff's happening and it feels like it's going to matter. And I hope that it does. Like I said, if I'm wrong and it just all now turns into, you know, like, oh, now we're done with Thorn, that would be really bad. Yeah, totally. Totally. At the same time, there sure, would also totally. be an element of maybe they'd be smart to cut their losses if in a storyline that's not working. Right. <laughs> Sheriff Bullock had said, the politics and social structures of Dorne are fascinating in the books. TV Dorne's one-dimensional and hollow. They've turned the awesome sand snakes into villains. I'm beyond disappointed in what they have, have did to Dorne. Um, so he totally disagrees with you, Christiana. Mm-hmm. Or not. Totally, but mostly. And then he okay. mentioned Trist. Whoops, Tristane, your lady love was just murdered en route to King's Landing. 
Why did you stay on the ship with no security and you're back to an unlocked door? You dummy. Because they're literally his family. Yeah. He's too trusting. Yeah. Like he says, I'm not going to fight you. You're my family. Yeah. And and he's just, he's far too trusting and sweet. And that's why Marcella fell for him. And it's mm-hmm. why it's so sad to see him go because he actually would have been a great guy. Mm-hmm. <sighs> This is the problem with honorable people. They expect everyone to be honorable and yeah. then they get dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he perfectly sums up what I was thinking earlier. Auburn wanted revenge on the mountain and Tywin Lannister. He didn't want innocence like Marcella Hurt. We don't hurt little girls in Dorne. Auburn would not approve of this. Well, Agreed. Um, except that what I'll go on from there to say is the response when he says that is Cersei saying they hurt little girls everywhere. So don't give me that crap. Um, <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> the, and then the other element of it is from Ilaria and the Sand Snakes perspective. They're going to say, well, it was the fact that Oberyn wasn't willing to go all the way. That's what got him killed. Mm. You know, he was too soft. We have to be hard about it. And that means doing what it takes. And so I'm not saying that Oberyn would approve, but I do think that they are nonetheless trying to carry out his ultimate mission, which is not just let's get Mountain and Tywin Lannister, but basically to tear the whole thing down. Because as much as Oberyn was specifically focused on them as being the specific people involved, I don't think he was planning to stop there and say, oh, give me Oberyn and Tywin? Good. We're all good then. I'll go home now. I don't think so. I think he would. Hmm. He he went there to provoke a greater conflict because he knew that they weren't going to give him the the mountain or Tywin. Like he demanded the mountain, but he also wanted Tywin. They're not going to give him Tywin. He knows that he's trying to provoke war. That is what he wanted, even if he wouldn't have necessarily approved of killing Marcella. Um, by poison that way. Um, but I think that their perspective is that he also got killed. So if we're going to still do this thing, then we need to do it our way. Yeah. And also the, the, the whole, um, patriarchal element of not being willing to kill little girls is something that they're probably not, um, not as hung up on as he is. Now, I'm not saying it's good to kill little girls, but this idea that somehow little girls are special when anybody else is fair game. They don't care about that as much. <laughs> um, let's keep heading. Oh, let's head uh, across to Essos. Marine, Tyrion, and Varen go for a walk. Varys. Varys. <laughs> Um, Aaron. yeah, that come from, oh, I've been reading the, the wheel of time yeah. series. There's a character named Baron. Um, <laughs> uh, this was, uh, this, this whole sequence, um, like other than sort of the punchline of, oh, look, all the boats are on fire. That's the thing. Um, other than that, it was kind of just a check-in scene. Like, there was not really 
a lot happening. I mean, the, I think the only real new information other than the boats being on fire is the idea, is the reiterating the idea that the, you know, the red priests and the Lord of Light and that whole thing is, you know, present there in Marine too. And that mm-hmm. the vacuum of the queen being absent is something that's, you're going to have to deal with one way or the other. Yeah. Um, so, Touching base that yeah. the the little birds are getting the info on. Right. Yeah, but as they're saying down. that, they're being watched by someone. Well, Did you guys notice that? I'm gathered they're being watched well, by all I was sorts like, of people. I, I was I like, device, sure, they but, look I like mean... regular. <laughs> I was like, sure, they look like regular merchants because you see fat bald guys and dwarves on every corner of Marine. Plus, yeah, mer- regular merchants are just walking around <laughs> all over the place in this current situation, but. I, honestly, though, I, I they were definitely being watched by someone. Is the Sons of the Harpy still out there and want to be killed? You know, it's like we don't know what I mean because um, uh, what's his face? Um, Danny's would be husband um, got killed mm-hmm. last time, so that's mm-hmm. that's still a thing out there in the ether. No, I was just no, commenting on the oh. framing of one of the shots. They they kept going from mm-hmm. viewing them. From like windows and one of the shots it was very clearly from over the shoulder of somebody watching them oh no you're totally right i just i didn't think of it as especially significant like oh better worry it's more i thought it was more just to kind of establish as like we don't even know what's going on there's enemy forces all around us what are we going to do as opposed to trying to imply something specific about who that one person was Mm, that's that's all i was saying Right. You're right, though, that, that that one shot definitely suggests specifically they're being watched. When Varys is saying the little birds are flying, you know, to find who the leader of the thing is, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is it going to come back that it was her betrothed? Could be. Wasn't that a theory that yeah. he was kind of the head of all the, the gold masks? It certainly seemed plausible up until one of them stabbed him. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's not necessarily uh, out of the question still, but uh, it's it's certainly more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I liked checking in with uh, with Ferris and Tyrion. Don't get me wrong; I just feel like yeah. I, you yeah. know, the, it was more just kind of like I felt the scene was more to remind us where they were and what their deal was, like what their current situation is. It, it we yeah. didn't really have plot advancement. Um, except to show us two potential story elements without actually doing anything with them yet. Like, okay, the ships are on fire, so what's that going to mean? Okay, the Lord of Light and the little comics are around. What's that going to mean? You know, it's like we don't... Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're showcasing potential directions mm-hmm. for the story to go, but it doesn't actually go in any of them yet. And a little comic relief when, you know... I want to eat your baby. Oh, yeah. Which, Vivrite's offering money to mother on the street. Don't eat mother baby. All I hear is Ike on South Park. (laughs) Don't (laughs) eat eat the the baby. baby. (laughs) Don't eat the baby. (laughs) But, yeah, that's got to just suck for Tyrion still just further in the sense is like, I just can't catch a break. People just assume the worst about me no matter what. Although, I guess, technically, his, his misspeaking the language is contributed there. Yeah. And the fleet in flames for me, do they like not have any soldiers left anywhere? How does 
a whole fleet just so th- go up in flames. They still have their. I mean, I my assumption was it's the like the merchant fleet, but uh, yeah. it's also not clear who set the fire or, or what's going on there. But see, that's that's what I was talking about is that we see a fire, but we don't have any concept of what ships are those. Why are they on fire? Who did it? What's that going to mean? We just like they used it to punch like we're not sailing to Westeros anytime soon. And that was almost like to the audience of like, stop asking us to just have them sail to Westeros. We're not going to do that. Yeah. In, in the books, they don't have a fleet. They don't have ships. So I think that that's just kind of bringing it in line with the books and, and a lot like, well, they didn't have them. They didn't have them here either because they marched up with the, um, the unsullied. They didn't have their own fleet. Right, but they they had, Marine's yeah. fleet was there. Mm-hmm. That's what burned. Whereas in the books, Marine's fleet went out to sea, and that they were a threat that were waiting for them and yeah. and and causing a blockade, which meant that nothing was coming in from the sea, and it it leads to well. But that's what I'm that saying is with. that like I don't yeah. think they had a fleet. Like there were yeah. there were Marine merchant vessels. But a lot of the trade had been stifled because so much of it had been based on slavery before. And now it's not clear what's going on. And I think we established last season that there was a problem with uh, getting trade moving the way it should be. But like again, like the show doesn't tell us whose boats are these, why are they on fire, what's going on. We don't... Right. Not, the, the scene doesn't convey any of that. Yeah. Let's go on the trail for Danny. Mm-hmm. Got uh, Dario and Jora getting uh, Jora's getting stonier by the day. Yeah, so we check in with his progress. I was marginally pleased that they they sold the idea of them finding the ring a little better than I expected because on because yeah. just the idea that oh look here's this whole big horse trampled circle uh, with a little spot in the middle. It's untouched, like they were riding around somebody. Hey, let's check that out. And that's where the ring is. But at the same time, it is also just kind of like, kind of luck that they just happened yeah. to come across that spot. But uh, sure, why not? <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, it was uh, clearly, as we see later, a fucking horde. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, so I, I had written, I had in my notes written, nice Dothraki intimidation tactic. Lead them right to the ring. And yep. vivid written, Dothraki crop circle holds a creamy jeweled center. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So um, I was on the Clone Dance Party podcast earlier this week talking about cool. Orphan Black. And um, as we've mentioned before, uh, the new Dario is the same actor who plays Cal mm-hmm. in Orphan Black. And in mm. the, the episode I was uh, talking about, uh, one of the characters says, you know, well, what about Cal? Oh, Cal's still out of the country. And so my comment was, Cal's out of the country looking for Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so so here we have uh, one of the the two big uh, people that I see on Game of Thrones now and now identify them with other uh, properties that they're in. And all I can think about is, you have no idea what's going on with your kid and your girl back in Canada, do you, Dario? <laughs> <laughs> which Orphan Black just started up again, too, which very exciting yes. and very fun. 
Orphan Black is a lot later this year. Um, I think normally it's it's much earlier in the year. And because of that, the actor who plays Dario is in Game of Thrones and not in Orphan Black as well, which he was in both last year. So far as I know, he's not in Orphan Black. We'll see. Yeah, we're only like two seasons, two episodes in. Yeah. So um, we go from this grasslands to desert with Danny getting reacquainted with the Dothraki. <laughs> from uh, not in a good way as a slave. I like their what best in life discussion. Yes, yes. Among among the five best things in life. Seeing a naked woman for the first time is one of them. <laughs> and in Viv wrote, there's our horde. It only took five seasons. God mm-hmm. damn it. <laughs> well, you know, it was a budget thing, right? It's, I mean, it's the first seasons, you know, they're already spending so much money on everything else. And they, they, they skimped on that. But uh, at, at the same time, it's nice to finally have it. And kind of implicitly conveys that, like, oh, yeah, this is a bigger horde than Drogo had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got <clears throat> Lisi tries to run down her our, uh, her credentials, and Cal Morrow isn't buying it. But he does immediately buy that she was Cal Drogo's wife for some reason. Well, he probably had heard that he obviously knew who Khal Drogo was, and he probably had heard that Khal Drogo had married a a, a foreigner, you know, and, and I'm sure they talked about the white hair or something, and he was like, oh, that's what this is. Okay. Well, plus, I think there's an element of she said it in a way that he believed. Yeah. You know? Although, mm. I think it's very important. She spoke to their language, that, for one. Yep. And it's very important to note that one of the things that she was trying to get away from, uh, because she was told, you know, your call is dead, you're supposed to go to the grassland. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where he intends to take her. Yeah. 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 And I remember that from way city. back when, like, oh, that's not good. That's like permanent retirement. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I think there was a, like, the, the coming next episode, there was a, oh, I guess not, other than Tyrion seeing a dragon. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's definitely something that they're going to have to deal with, is that the dragons are now locked down there, and that was already a problem, but now they're, they don't even have Daenerys around to check in on them or to do anything to control them. And there might be an element of we need to reestablish this idea that Daenerys might still be around or that she'll at least come back. So they might be starting to try to think, well, gosh, if we can show people a dragon and, and, and suggest that we have control over it, then maybe that'll help. It seems like a potentially bad idea. Yeah. It also is- well, in- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, in the books, I'm just remembering to what we just discussed, uh, Daenerys has Drogon with her. So she's, 
I can't imagine she's going to get taken by a horde when she's got a dragon with her. That's not, but in, that's exactly what happens in the books, though, is that Drogon yeah. is like, she's been like camping with him. But the problem is he sort of sets up like a nest where he flies around to hunt, but he doesn't seem willing to actually move or go anywhere other than just hanging out there. And she decides that she can't stay there. So she leaves that nest and he might still be around, but she walks away from his nest and that's where the the horde finds finds her. I thought thought he was there when the horde found her. I don't think so. Okay. My memory is off then. All right. Um... And yeah, all of your ideas uh, about the dragons at uh, in Marine, one hundred percent. I I really want to see somebody try to control one of them. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. <laughs> Not for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> True. So we sail over to Bravos. Ah, uh, yeah. Little Arya is still blind. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, that sucks. at least at least in our first uh, appearance of her, it's just like, OK, she's clearly a beggar. Um, is she is she a beggar because she's been kicked out and now she's blind and homeless? Or is there still something more going on? And then when the wave shows up, that suggests, no, OK, there there's an element to where, OK, we're still training you. So last yeah, season, it seemed. Oh. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to say last season, I was completely disinterested in the waif. I really could, did not care about that character. This season, I'm actually excited that they are giving her more to do. Um, and that's simply because I really like the actress now. I have learned to love the actress because she is in Need for Speed Underground, the latest one. And it's a mix of live action cinematics mixed in with your gameplay and she plays a character amy and she's awesome so i was like oh yay i get to see her on game of thrones and uh so i'm kind of excited that she's you know beating up aria a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i I also Uh, do do expect aria to say but with being blind how can i fight you know with the blast shield down Well, that's your problem, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a Viv summed up what I was thinking. Yay, training. So like, kind of like you said, I read it as she was, they gave her time to marinate on the streets. So she was just a beggar girl and was kind of like in despair when suddenly now she's given a way forward. And, uh, or, or or given a rope mm-hmm. a way back. But yeah, I think that's cool. That 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 gives hope. I I wonder if it's not so much like that she didn't exactly receive a demotion, but kind of a promotion, because mm. now they're teaching her to fight, whereas before she was just meant to listen and then slip poison in one person's thing. And it seems to me like maybe this is kind of all part of whatever training that the House of the Undying has planned for her. Mm-hmm. Did they not do some of this same kind of um, train, you know, training with the stick in the House Black of Black and White last season? Like a little bit, like where they? they I would... think the wave came and beat her up a bunch. Yeah, but I mean that's you know, kind of the, the same the, thing the... that. 
doing Dang. here. It's the same kind of training of like, if you want me to stop hitting you, you're going to need to find a way to stop me from hitting you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly there there does seem like there's a proactive sense of specifically we're training you to do more obviously assassiny things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where Viv wrote, Viv writes, honestly, I don't even know what to hope for when it comes to Arya. Mm-hmm. I see no hope there, and I wish they'd give us more than the promise of self-defense. Although, like you say, assassin, which is kind of not necessarily good, good, bad, I don't know. And she wrote nearly impossible to watch. <laughs> she doesn't like seeing her get beat up Aww. like that. Uh, by the way, did you guys hear among the, the street talk, one of the people said, oh, I'm not going there. Did you hear uh, 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 King's, wa- King's guard killed right under their noses? Oh, I wouldn't feel safe there. Talking about where where she had uh, killed the guy last mm-hmm. season. Oh, wow. I thought that was cool. That is. <laughs> so she is the talk of the town. Yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah. uh, that wraps it up. Well, I mean, that's exactly. kind of where we're... Uh, that wraps up the... Uh, yeah, where we're left. The episode. So one last thing. I, I discovered some trivia um, that I did not know. Uh, apparently... Uh, President Barack Obama was the first to see this episode. Uh, he was given a screener copy by the showrunners before the premiere in Los Angeles. So he got to nice. see it first. So uh, I guess there are perks to uh, being the president. <laughs> and um, apparently the premiere date is on the birthday of Aidan Gillian and Rory McCain, that uh, Littlefinger and the Hound. Oh, Speaking of funny. Littlefinger... Isn't the last time we saw him when he was specifically leaving Winterfell to go back to King's Landing because of all this nonsense with uh, Cersei and the brothel and the faith militant? Isn't that why I he left? So, so we so. haven't seen him show up again yet. So that's another piece uh, to mm-hmm. enter into this whole thing, especially since the charges against Marjorie and Loras are based on the word of the guy who works at Littlefinger's brothel. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's uh, something where he might have the ability to get them out by having that guy disappear. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. But would he be motivated to do that? Because he's kind of already worked against Cersei, but he doesn't want to tip his tip his hand about that. Yeah. Well, and and just because he's worked against Cersei doesn't mean it's not within his interest to to help at this point. He's constantly playing both sides. Mm-hmm. So. Right, but that my point is, would he help Marjorie yeah. against Cersei? Oh. I I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I hope so. Seems like he would be the one most in the position to do that. Well, and it seems to me that since uh, the Faith Militant was shutting down the brothels, that the Faith Militant is not going to be his friend. Well, for sure. Yeah, I would agree there. In fact, he might well be horrified at what 
Cersei has done by letting them have their power to begin with. But I oh, guess yeah. that what I'm just thinking of is from a storytelling perspective, he is in this unique position where he could essentially probably just make those charges go away in terms of at least dissolving any proof that they have. And if they've neither of them have confessed to anything, then mm-hmm. they might have to just let them go. Um, yeah. well, although, you know, th- that depends on whether or not it's their um, political thing or if it's really all about the, uh, the, the true belief. You know what I mean? It's like if they believe mm-hmm. they're really doing the right thing and it's not about gaining political power... Then, you know, with the lack of proof or suggestion that the proof was uh, was not above board, we'd have to let him go. But if it's really all about we want the queen in our pocket, then they might say, well, we don't care about that. We still yeah. we think it's true yeah. anyway. It, it'll be very interesting to see it. To see it unfold. Yeah. Well, and just in terms of uh, whether or not Littlefinger might think it's the right time to just go ahead and and uh, be done with the, you know, cut ties with Cersei. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. I'm- did uh, did we get any feedback? I don't believe so. Okay. I didn't see anything. Well, we're just getting the new season started back up. Yeah. I figured I'd check. Because, uh, listeners, give- if you do send in feedback or you attend a live session and do a Q&A or leave an iTunes review, you get entered into our contest. And we will take all of the names that have contributed for feedback and iTunes and Q&A and all of that. And we'll put them into a hat and we will select a winner at the end of this season. For an Amazon or iTunes gift, gift card, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It'll be... um um. um... The winner's choice. Yes. And also, um, oh, so one example is I'm going to give a rating for this episode and anybody else can leave a comment on any of our social everythings um, for an entry. So to give your own rating. So I'm going to give this episode eight out of... Four people it takes to stage a Dorn coup. <laughs> nice. Percentages don't line up, so, but, you know, eight out of ten. <laughs> I knew what you meant. I'll, I'll do uh, eight out of ten tears down my cheek of happiness at Brienne and Sansa reunited. Yay. Yes. Um, I will give this eight out of ten crones. Did Viv leave a, a rating? <laughs> she did not. Okay. She well, did not. So I'll take it next time. So that obviously gives our cumulative score 8 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So anybody out there listening can leave your your rating. It's funny. Um, one, of, um, one of the ones I was going to put... Oh, I lost it. Never mind. It's late. I think we're done. <laughs> All right. We got one last uh, comment from Sheriff Bullock saying, oh, loved cool. the Sansa Brienne scene, hated everything Dorn. Very intrigued by Melisandre. 
and the rest was just set up. And like Christiana said, re Tyrion and Varys checking in. So seven out of ten sand snakes on a speedboat. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Yeah. Great alliteration. Someone get these monkey fighting sand snakes <laughs> off this Monday to Friday speedboat. <laughs> My favorite censored version of the movie. That's, that's pretty great. And uh, Seth Bullock also says, I'm very excited to see Bran next week and maybe sometime this season we'll check in on Rickon, Hodor, and most importantly, Osha. Yes. Yeah, that will be really interesting because the book really, we never we never heard from them again, at least up to we, this point. We heard mention and that's about it. Because when um, when Davos goes... Uh, down to the Manderleys and all of that. The Manderleys talk about how uh, Rickon is with the Reeds, and that—that's there. Was that rumor or real? Well, they were talking about it. There's no way to know. It's all because it's all POVs and stories mm -hmm. and stuff. Everything could be an unreliable narrator. Yeah. But the Manderleys believe that the Reeds have Rickon, and that they were going to rally behind him. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. Do you happen to know the title of the next episode? I do. As a matter of fact, uh, the next episode is called Home, mm. which makes me feel very hopeful for the next episode. But I know I shouldn't because, you know, I've been we've all been treated by the show like creepy McFucko treats Reek. Yeah. So <laughs> I shouldn't be hopeful. But I, I like the idea. Oh. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Um, the, the other things that were in the, the little clips for coming up next, we see Bran, we see Cersei taking, uh, Franken Mountain out for a test drive. Mm -hmm. Not clear, um, who she's confronting. I, I, I don't know if she was going to the High Sparrow or not because Jamie goes to see the High Sparrow. So mm -hmm. that was interesting. Um, like I said, uh, Arya is more of Arya training. Sansa, Posse doing their next move, planning their next moves. And uh, Tyrion sees a dragon. <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> so, going to be fun. Yay, we're back. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Off with a bang. So, that's it for us. Right. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, oh, I'll play the music. I was just going to say, you know, you can do uh, iTunes reviews and all that kind of stuff for entries into the contest. But I think uh, Viv covers it in the live outro. <laughs> so we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Good night, everybody. If you have feedback for the Beyond the Wall podcast, you can email us at btw at specficmedia.com. You can also leave us a comment on the website. Go to specficmedia.com where you'll find a shiny BTW button that'll take you right to our page. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0, Unported License. Feel free to share and remix. Just give us credit and don't charge money for it.